0: Welcome to Climate Optimus. I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Thomas Mills. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. So let's kick things off with a couple announcements. Todd is out this week, but uh, no need for alarm. Uh, I hope will be back for, for next week's episode. And additionally, I wanted to say thanks to our growing base of supporters You know, we're a newly formed nonprofit, and listener donations really enable us to to bring you the programming you hear each week. And so to those who aren't supporters but would like to become one, just head over to our website, climateoptimist.co, and click on the Donate button. Our topic this week is carbon capture technology and the role it can play in helping us get the 50% cut in emissions we need by 2030 And ultimately getting to that net zero mark by 2050. But before we go there, I heard you have a good reason for hope for us this week.
1: Yes, Jason. Electric vehicle sales globally have more than doubled in the last 12 months. And the world produces more electric vehicles in one week than it did in all of 2012. So this exponential growth is allowing us to move in the right direction with regard to decarbonizing the transportation sector. So definitely a step in the right direction. And I think driven partially by the fact that um, energy prices globally have been so high, uh, driven by this war in Ukraine, which is, (laughs) there's got to be a little silver lining somewhere on that because the rest of it is quite a disastrous situation. So I know what you
0: mean, though. It's hard to say that there's potentially a silver lining, but I think we need silver linings, right? And even though it's a tragic situation in Ukraine. The reality is if if this has if one good thing comes of it it's that we recognize that not only are fossil fuels bad for our climate but they're they're bad for the world in terms of you know what it does geopolitically so it's a harsh lesson to learn but if we can learn that lesson then we don't have to repeat it and there doesn't have to be you know another Ukraine down the road well with that, let's head into our main topic today and we thought it might be good to to step back and review a little terminology first just so we're clear given all the 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 different words that get thrown around out there so let's start first with with carbon capture and thomas you can keep me honest here but God. effectively carbon capture technology is an umbrella term for you know being able to capture the carbon that would be otherwise emitted in the atmosphere by various processes so you know think of your think of your Emissions coming out of your tailpipe of your car. Think of a, a power plant. You know, it's burning natural gas. Think about a cement manufacturing facility. All of those things release carbon, and carbon capture technology, you know, is is really what we're putting in place to ensure that that carbon isn't emitted up into the into the atmosphere. You know, you often hear the term carbon capture also paired with other words like utilization or carbon capture and storage. Carbon capture and utilization is you're taking that. CO2 that you've captured and repurposing it for something else so a carbon neutral jet fuel for instance storage is effectively you know what it would imply which is you're taking the carbon that you've pulled in or kept from going in the atmosphere and and permanently storing it whether underground or you know as a as a mineral to ensure it's it's no longer in in the cycle if you will Thomas did I miss anything
1: No I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there Jason Having the technology available that allows us to take every single process that we do to a carbon neutral status is going to be important because we've got a lot to do in a very short period of time.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And we don't want to dig too far in or, or spoil the the interview. But yeah, in essence, that's really you know the why of it all. So Thomas, as you point out, we have certain sectors of the economy that right now we don't have a a solution to make them carbon neutral. And so- the next best thing becomes capturing that carbon and avoiding it going up into the atmosphere. So today, coming to educate us on carbon capture is Hannah Roland. She is the head of sustainability for Aker Carbon Capture, which is based in Norway. She has 15 years experience in the industry, both on the projects side and line management, as well as digitalization and technology strategy. She holds a master's degree in industrial economics and technology management from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. Definitely excited to have her on the show to help walk us through the, yeah, the exciting world of uh, carbon capture. Hannah, welcome to Climate Optimus.
2: Thank you so much. And I've been looking forward to this. So thank you for the invite.
0: So let's start you off with the question we do all our guests. When it comes to efforts to address climate change, uh, what makes you hopeful?
2: I would say that uh, this this last couple of years, we have seen climate report after climate report really emphasizing the sense of urgency that we need to act now. I do feel that we have a great understanding and expectation uh, that we need to move forward. What makes me hopeful is that we still see that there is a roadmap to get to where we need to be in order to meet our climate goals. So we see a lot of these different roadmaps. We see that there is a lot of initiatives and opportunities for us to follow if we just choose to do so. Another thing that makes me hopeful would be that the actions or the uh, how we see the younger generation is also pushing this agenda and also pushing us. I, I see it in, in my own company where I work, uh, how we are striving to become even better. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's make this decade count. That's uh, what I could say.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, it's it's nice to see that the roadmaps still exist and the, the energy of the young people on, on the days when I'm struggling a bit definitely keep me going. So I, I hear you there. Well, just since we're talking about Acker and carbon capture, curious how you got into the carbon capture business.
2: Yeah, uh, surprisingly enough, my, my journey to work with sustainability in a ded- dedicated carbon capture company started in uh, oil and gas. So uh, <laughs> actually often, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> often I refer to my own journey uh, as an example of the green transition and and how I need to build the new green industries and new jobs uh, on the shoulders of uh, what we know already.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's interesting, that the journey that folks take. Well, let's dig into carbon capture technology. So hoping you can explain to us at a, at a high level kind of how Acker's technology works and you know how does it capture the carbon. And then I think the question that many have is like, well, what happens to the carbon once it's once it's captured?
2: Absolutely. And of course, this would have been uh, a bit simpler if we had a flow chart in front of us, but I, uh, I'll give totally. it a try <laughs> to bring you through the flow. So very simplified, what we do is that we redirect the flue gas before it exits the chimney. Uh, We we, uh, then bring it into our our facility that we build uh, and construct on the site. We sort of shower it with what we call an amine solvent, uh, a kind of chemical that reacts with the CO2 so that it's possible to separate out the CO2 uh, out of the flue gas. The next step what we do is that we heat this up so that we can separate the amine solvent uh, going back in the loop catching more CO2, uh, while the CO2 that is now solely CO2 left, we can then uh, typically what we do is to put it under pressure so it's liquefied, which is easier than for further transport. And then there's typically, when we we talk about carbon capture, we have carbon capture utilization and storage. And that would be either then carbon capture utilization, CCU, uh, or it would be carbon capture and storage, CCS. In either case, uh, most likely it will be uh, having a need of further transport and that could happen through pipeline uh, or it could happen like we see now in Norway. I'm sure we're coming back to our project here is uh, also then by a vessel uh, before it's injected uh, underneath the seabed. So, yeah, and I, I touched upon it now, the permanent storage that has several different uh, means it is in different from uh, sa- saline formations under the seabed or and there's also a very exciting technology that you might have uh, talked about already uh, or heard about that is a carb fix solution where it's ex- actually a mineralization process to carbonate minerals so very exciting uh, yeah, we we'll see developments and research in this uh, area, but this is happening already today. So, the the options are many moving forward.
0: So, it sounds like in a I'm thinking in a very simplistic sense, you've got you know a lot of people have a chimney on a house, and you're effectively have this this solvent that's coming through and sort of capturing the carbon, and then you know in the process free you know freeing the carbon from the solvent, so you have kind of a closed loop system, it sounds like, and then that carbon is then compressed, and then you're taking it to, you know, whether it's a site to inject it as a gas or turning it into a mineral, et cetera, but uh, basically, you know, putting it under the the Earth's surface for permanent storage.
2: Yeah. Very good. Excellent description. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing bad to that.
0: (laughs) Well, and so that brings me to sort of what I get excited about, which is, you know, where, where do you see, you know, Akers carbon technology being used? What are the you know, most typical applications?
2: I would say that carbon capture has three roles to play. The first would be how to uh, reduce the emissions from the hard to abate sector. Like good examples in this area is the cement industry, it's steel industry, waste incineration or waste to energy plants, all sectors, that is, it's not about changing the fuels or electrifying or other kind of initiatives to reduce the emissions, but it's really core to the process itself. So this is an extremely important uh, area for the world uh, really to reduce the emissions. And just to bring forward cement as an example, Cement is contributing to the world's mission of about 5 to 7% of the total emission. So it just it's it, it's uh, clear that we need to find a solution for this one. The solution is here, uh, but to, to scale it fast so that we can yeah. have the impact. The second role I would like to highlight is its role carbon capture has to play in the energy transition. So, of course, we are moving into a more uh, a world with more renewable energy. Uh, but it will be a transitional phase there until we have the scale of it uh, or the level that is needed. And we see that dispatchable power that we can see in, in gas-to-power plants is an important part here. And, of course, uh, connecting this with carbon capture, that is becoming a very low-carbon energy uh, Solution. Hydrogen is also another huge topic these days. And uh, I think we're talking about all the colors when we're talking about hydrogen. Right. Uh, and from our, yeah, it's it's not even, uh, yeah, it, of course, it's the gray hydrogen where it's just directly used the natural gas. We have blue hydrogen, which is then in combination with CCS. We have green hydrogen, which is with the use of renewable power. And I think it's also been introduced both red and purple and gold, I think I've heard. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a really exciting debate in itself. But in any case, we see that in, in the future, we do believe that it's the green hydrogen, of course, that will be the, the sustainable and future solution. But in the transition, in order to scale up the green hydrogen quickly enough, we believe that blue hydrogen has a role to play in order to increase the demand, to work with infrastructure, to get all of this in place, to really scale it further.
0: And, and the blue hydrogen being hydrogen that is come from natural gas where you're extracting the, the carbon that would have otherwise been emitted. Am I exactly. correct there? Okay. Yeah.
2: The third role where we see carbon capture has a role to play is when it comes to carbon removal. So, this is really about enabling the net in net zero. Because, first of all, we need to, of course, reduce any emissions going out to the atmosphere, and we need to do that quickly. But we will have some of these emissions that will still remain there, that we still will emit to the atmosphere. And that's where carbon removal comes into play, where uh, another word uh, for this is also the um, negative emissions. So this is where we could catch and uh, permanently store CO2 that has a biogenic origin, so that is from what we would say the natural loop from from the nature taking up the uh, the carbon from the atmosphere. Following the cycle, will go out in the atmosphere, and that this has been balanced through through all times until we started to emit more carbon into the atmosphere uh, in addition to this natural cycle. So um, by sort of uh, taking out more of this natural cycle that is when we can bring out the the total emissions uh, in the atmosphere. So this is a hugely exciting area, I would say, for carbon capture uh, moving forward. Um, And also when we look to the... Uh, roadmaps towards net zero carbon removal has a huge role to play, uh, particularly after the 2050s, but also for any corporate donation, even individuals that have set net zero targets before that. And, uh, there's, and I say luckily and hopefully um, uh, there will be many more, but there are already large corporates and companies that have set this target already for 2030. And and I think that plays to the part where those that can do more, they should do more uh, in the uh, in this um, close uh, period uh, coming up.
0: Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, the reality is we have, you know, I think about kind of the the different pieces you talked about, but two kind of basic buckets. You know, we have this spigot of carbon that we need to turn off, right? The the reducing piece, but yeah, as you speak to it, right? There's all this carbon that's still going to be in the atmosphere and to return things to balance, we've got to pull, pull more of that out. So yeah, excited by the, the dual role that, that carbon capture uh, potentially plays. So being, being the engineer that I am, I'm thinking like, you know, what, what would it kind of look like? Let's say you were talking about cement, because that's obviously a critical area to, to try to reduce emissions. What would it look like to implement sort of a project in cement manufacturing? And kind of what would the what would the catalyst for that be?
2: Yeah, and when it comes to cement in particular, I'd just like to highlight that this is actually happening happening right now as part of the Norwegian full-scale CCS value chain demonstration project called Longship. Uh, We're now delivering the world's full-scale carbon capture plant at the cement facility. And uh, this is truly an important project because we are delivering or we are developing the full value chain in one go. Because uh, obviously, it doesn't make sense to just either do the carbon capture part or the storage project. So, of course, this first one, that is within uh, large investments from the Norwegian state and moving forward, uh, of course, we need to bring the cost down or, or actually we need to meet the make the cost curves meet. So I think that comes with two elements. Uh, one thing is that we can, by actually delivering carbon capture storage projects now, we will be having quite a lot of learning by doing Uh, we de-risk the projects we get to uh, scale as i say here into full-scale projects because the technology is known and and we have done this in in norway for decades already particularly for the storage element we have stored co2 at the sleipner field in norway since 1996 so this is not a new thing and the technology itself has been matured and iterations have been done there to really deliver on that expectation to keep two thoughts in the head at the same time meaning that yes we are there to be part of the solution uh, to climate change but it's also about not introducing a new challenge or a problem to the to the nature or to the environment. So this, is, is, this isn't really a technology problem. It is about the scaling that we need to, to make it happen much quicker. But by then, this first project, that means that we can learn from the project. We can also work towards a more mature solution. We can standardize the solution, which, of course, in itself enables to, to bring down cost. So that is the, is the cost curve going downwards. And then on the other side, we also have the what we call the effective carbon price going up. So this is where all sort of the incentives being uh, characteristic or, or what it is um, comes into play. And just taking Norway as an example, we have set or already defined a target of the CO2 taxes uh, going substantially up by 2030. And I was trying to do the quick calculations from Norwegian kroner to, to dollars, but let's say $200 <laughs> by 2030, give or take, which helps making the true cost of the production of the emitters. And then I think another important element here is also the the expectation and need uh, to be able to purchase low-carbon materials or other services, because again, going back to sort of the climate targets or the net zero targets being set by, by uh, companies and so on, this will be the only way to get there.
0: We had a, an episode, listeners will know, about the building sector and how it's trying to become more green and so i'm thinking you know the example could be if we're talking about the cement plant that that they're looking for cement that has a lower carbon content or carbon burden if you will and saying we only want to purchase this and then that is creating then the market if i'm understanding you correctly yeah
2: exactly you're spot on just taking our own uh, we are company that we are conscious about both focusing on our handprint. So that is sort of uh, our positive impact to the world through our solutions, the the amount and volumes of of carbon to be captured. Uh, And at the same time, we need to grow our company in a way that we keep our footprint down. So we have stated a goal that by 2030, our solutions uh, should improve its carbon intensity by 50%. So how do we go about uh, reaching that target is by truly understanding what are the drivers uh, for the for our footprint. And, of course, the material impact as from steel is an important element. So for us, it right. will be important to be part of that, setting that demand towards green steel, if you wish, or low-carbon steel in order for us to meet our targets again. So it really, this isn't anything any company can solve by itself. But when we start to work together like this, uh, then uh, I'm... I'm confident that things needs to happen. And actually, I would just like to add on one thing in in, uh, in this area, because I find it so so exciting. And that is um, World Economic Forum uh, launched its um, uh, first mover coalition at COP26. I don't know if you've talked about that in a previous episode, but... Um, I don't
0: believe we have. So if you can yeah, educate us briefly. Yeah,
2: very, very <laughs> quickly It's still early days and it's being worked upon. But It's about just what we're talking about here. It's about how can we set uh, that demand on low-carbon products and solutions in a way that uh, emitters uh, will know that there is a demand for the products. Because, of course, it's risk with any investments uh, required. Uh, So uh, for them to know that there are uh, purchasers that are willing to pay that premium price that we must expect, expect to a large extent in the beginning uh, for any new product solutions being brought to the market, but that they're willing to pay that premium price. So um, uh, there's already quite a few areas that is uh, um, sort of been launched as part of um, this first movie coalition, but uh, I believe steel and shipping is is, is, uh, as examples now in the beginning and more to come and where companies could then state maybe Just as an example, uh, that yes, we are committed to uh, purchase uh, X amount of steel uh, that comes with the premium cost uh, in in the following years. So um, I think this one is a very interesting one to follow.
0: Indeed. Yeah, you could see how, you know, big companies like thinking about tech companies in the US who, you know, have a big footprint or the Amazons of the world. Could decide hey they're going to build you know their new warehouses or the new facilities with a certain percentage of more green steel and then you know creating that that demand that you're talking about so absolutely, a big opportunity to lead
2: <laughs> absolutely i agree with you
0: so exciting to hear you talk about you know this potential to create demand for a green product which then enables us to, to help get rid of the carbon i'm wondering if you have thoughts on like how do we how do we scale this right because at the end of the day, it's exciting to know the technology is there and that, that the economics are starting to line up. But as we all know, we have a race against the clock.
2: I think there are some foundation that we need to have in place. Uh, and the first one is, of course, that pollution must come with a cost. Uh, and we touched upon it, how we see that, uh, and examples from nowhere, we see the increased CO2 taxes and so on, or the even the trading schemas and so on. A second point would be that we also must value the negative emissions. So the uh, the carbon credit or the voluntary carbon credit market is still immature. There's a lot of activities, I would say, happening in this area to also s- sort of um, better illustrate the high quality carbon credits to the market because um, this is a market that has been very challenging in the past. And for those emitters that has a mix of fossil and biogenic origin to the CO2. Um, this makes challenging to the business case if we don't see the true value of the carbon that is captured and stored permanently. So this is a whole area that needs to, to mature further. And the third one is that we do need some kind of incentives now benefiting the early movers simply to get the deployment really started and to make sure that we have the infrastructure in place. So this is sort of some of the key key aspects I would like to share on this.
0: That makes sense. So, you know, as I think a lot of our listeners are aware, we have things like, you know, carbon taxes, cap and trade. We really need that across the board in the big economies so that there's a, you know, a disincentive to continue um, emitting carbon. And that sounds like the second one being cleaning up the carbon credit market, knowing that not all carbon credits are created equally, and we need to be able to value carbon that's removed permanently differently than we do, let's say, you know, a forest that's allowed to remain standing, but may, you know, burn down at some point, et cetera. Exactly. And then third makes perfect sense, right? I mean, making sure there are incentives available, which we did here in the U.S. as we were trying to, you know, build out wind and solar and get things going. So I, I know some folks, you know, while they recognize carbon capture is essential to us meeting our climate targets, there's this worry that it enables us to just continue, you know, burning fossil fuels, right? Without, Uh, eventually just kind of reducing those to zero. So wondering if you have thoughts on how we go about carbon capture so that, you know, we're still heading down that transition to 100% renewable.
2: I believe that there will be, for some areas, carbon capture will be a more transitional activity. I mean, we spoke about the blue hydrogen earlier, and I believe that the long-term solution will be green hydrogen as an example. But it's something about this transitional phase where we really need to have that full picture particularly for the energy sector which is challenging particularly these days I would say uh, with innovation of Ukraine and really to secure energy access Uh, but we must make sure that when we do the investments for the for the long term uh, we must make sure that these are for the sustainable solutions. I guess this will change over the years to begin with uh, we will very much focus on reducing the emissions that are emitting today uh, and then as we see other uh, areas are scaling up new technology or access to renewable energy is changing then then we need to take the required actions accordingly
0: but it seems either way that you know the critical piece is going to be the quicker we can we can get you know, companies like Acker scaled up, the more we drive down that, that cost. And then as you pointed out, the, the cost of capturing carbon and the cost of carbon, those curves intersect so that it, you know, once the economics are there, then obviously it becomes much easier to expand it, you know, across the globe. Yes. So that leads to, you know, are there things as individuals, that we can do in this case to help ramp up carbon capture. You know, are, is there a role that we can play in helping advance this? You know, critical technology.
2: I think that we all need to simply use our purchase power uh, to continue to ask for low carbon materials uh, solutions that are that is out there. And, and if you don't get it the first time, continue to ask for it. If you are a purchaser, a project manager, whatever sort of different positions you might have in your work life, use that position to, to drive forward these uh, initiatives and these, uh, these demands. Yeah, I think that is uh, the, the best way that we could really impact this, of course, together with expecting more uh, from the, where we are citizens and to our politics and politicians on, on really to take action to move forward.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, we all have a have a role to play as as consumers, and to your point, I mean, in you know, in our workplace as well. Well, I feel like I know enough now to be dangerous on carbon capture, <laughs> <laughs> which is where at least I like to be. Um, but uh, Hannah wanted to just say a big thanks for making the time to come to Climate Optimus and talk about exciting developments in this industry and. Yeah, wishing you and AcroCarbon uh, the best of luck as you try to, to scale these technologies up.
2: Thank you so much. It's been lovely to be here and get to know you. All the best wishes for, for climate optimists as well moving forward. Important uh, work that you're doing here.
1: Thanks.
0: So, Thomas, what were your uh, thoughts on the interview with uh, Hannah?
1: I I think it's really promising technology um, and I think it's fantastic that they've got some projects in the ground now that um, are producing results. I think we need to be careful though that we don't become reliant upon this just as an excuse to continue to extract and combust fossil fuels and that we're you know, applying this technology responsibly in that we're using it for those industrial processes where we just don't have a a plan B right now for a carbon neutral solution.
0: I hear your point. And, you know, I think there's going to have to be some sort of policy solution to ensure that we might need a natural gas plant today because we don't have enough renewables paired with storage but as soon as we do we want to be able to just mothball those plants so
1: yeah so uh, you know that we've also got to keep in mind that there are a lot of fugitive emissions involved with the combustion of fossil fuel that's not directly captured in the CO2 emissions that may be coming out of the flue of these facilities and what unfortunately carbon capture and storage doesn't do is you know, handle any of those fugitive emissions
0: yeah, that's that's another great point. I mean, fossil fuel extraction produces on the order of about, you know, eight to ten percent of global carbon emissions. My other takeaway was, you know, in hearing Hannah talk about the promise of this technology is that we in, need to ensure that it's, you know, properly incentivized. We need to put a price on carbon, you know. Canada has one, you know, it needs to get higher, but they have one. You know, Europe effectively has a price on carbon and and the US needs to join that. As soon as we have that price on carbon, it helps correct all these issues because then it there's an incentive for these industries as the price of carbon goes up to quickly look for alternatives to you know to ensure that the cost of you know creating their goods stays low. And so we we clearly need a price on carbon in the U.S. and and I'm sure you'd agree we we need one in Australia as well.
1: Yeah, we sort of have one already under the ACCU system, but. Um, <laughs> just coincidentally in the last couple of weeks Angus Taylor our emissions minister just artificially manipulated the price so it just disincentivizes anyone from doing anything about the problem disappointing but hey it's sort of what we've come to expect from the current administration here <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got
0: an, you've got an election coming up right we we need to bring in somebody who values dealing with climate change
1: yeah, look, I mean, it'd be great. I, I think, unfortunately, the the alternative is better, but not an order of magnitude better. Sure, that some of the small parties, like the Greens, of course, got very aggressive climate goals, and and the Labor parties sort of do as well. But at the same time, they're still openly supporting coal mining, and it's like you you can't have your cake and eat it in this situation. What they really need to do is just say to these guys who just they don't really want to be digging coal out of the ground. They just want a well paying job. They just need to create <laughs> yeah. a pathway for these guys to get out of that, to move into renewables, to be servicing wind turbines, installing solar panels, you know, building big batteries, whatever it might be. We just need to provide a pathway for them so that they can see that they have a future.
0: Yeah. I mean, similar situation in the US, right? And to your point, if you could make just as much money, you know, servicing a wind turbine as you could digging in a hole in the ground, wouldn't you go take care of the wind turbine?
1: Of course you would. They're such fantastic things. What's not to love about them?
0: (laughs) So, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up, but, you know, when we're talking about carbon capture more broadly, the reality is, you know, yes, it has this valuable role to play as as a bridge technology for things, you know, like cement manufacturing and steel, but we also have, way too much carbon up in the atmosphere. And while Mother Nature does a great job of pulling it out, we've put up so much up there that it would take the natural cycle way too long to do it. And then, you know, in the meantime, we we rise way above, you know, 1.5, 2 degrees Celsius. So, you know, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, has called out the importance of, you know, carbon capture in helping us bring the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere down to safer levels. So, you know, in addition to being a transition technology, we also need carbon capture in a broader sense to help us meet our climate targets. And as always, that leads to sort of, well, what can we do, right, to um, to help in this this transition? And, you know, when it comes to, to personal action, wanted to, you know, encourage folks as they sort of look at their portfolio to be you know, really thinking about investing in technologies that, that help climate change. And to be clear, I'm not giving any sort of endorsement to a particular stock because let's face it, if you saw my stock performance, you would know that I'm not the person you need to be taking advice from. And then the the second action that I think we can take is putting a price on carbon, you know, as we were talking about earlier, you know, it, it acts as a as a transparent tool to drive down emissions. You know, forces businesses to you know cut back on their use of hydrocarbons and or implement solutions like carbon capture that ensure that we don't keep putting more of this stuff up in the atmosphere. So we'll have uh, talking points on, on our website, but reaching out to your your senators and calling for for a price on carbon. We definitely need it. So I think that's a wrap for this week. Thanks as always for tuning in. Come back next week for more climate solutions, reasons for hope, and ways each of us can make a difference. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimist.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimist Podcast.